Welcome to Mets 360 here on Cast. I'm joined tonight by uh, Mike Silva, and uh, we got a little interesting backstory here. Mike was actually going to be uh, a guest on Blog Talk Radio when all of a sudden Blog Talk Radio pulled the carpet out from underneath me and and uh, left me stranded. So, Mike, thanks for your patience on uh, on joining the show. Better late than never, and uh, a lot has changed since the last time you and I were supposed to chat. I was thinking back to some of the topics we were going to talk about, and... Uh, I think things are a little bit different in 30 days or so, uh, wouldn't you say? In, indeed, indeed. But before we get stuck, uh, before we get to uh, start talking about the Mets, I want to talk about some of the things that you're involved with. Uh, I know that you're involved with uh, Metsmerized Online, and uh, you have your uh, own media company or, or something like that. Sounds like uh, your own media it sounds, company. It sounds, it sounds more intricate than it is. But, no, at Mike Silva Media on Twitter, uh, I mean, I've been doing radio for about 10 years, freelancing. I used to be on a... Uh, an ESPN affiliate that's now defunct out on Long Island. Uh, I have uh, the Talking Mets podcast. I've had different iterations of, of independent media, if that's what you want to call it, NY Baseball Digest, which was my own thing I started you know, many moons ago. And, and now I help Rich Catino, who's on ESPN um, uh, 98.7. He has a show on Sundays on a Long Island radio station called WLIE 540 AM on the New York Sports Wrap, so I guess co-host there. So... I'm kind of all over the place, but primarily every uh, Sunday, if you subscribe to uh, my feed, if you go to MetsmerizedOnline.com, there's the Talking Mets podcast that you get on Apple, and uh, you'll you'll usually get guests and features and my opinion on what's going on with the New York Mets. So, hence why I'm on your show, Mets 360. But I'll leave that. Uh, <laughs> I'll let, you'll plug your own product right now. So that's that's where I'm at. Well, clearly Mike knows what he's talking about, so let's get right to it. Well, and, that's debatable, uh, depending on who you talk to. But that's okay. <laughs> well, um, the, the big topic right now, or one of the big topics, is uh, Jacob DeGrom. And uh, his agent here during the All-Star break uh, publicly asked for the club to uh, make up its mind. They want him to either uh, trade him or, or give him an extension during the All-Star break. So what's your take on that ploy by his agent? He's doing his job. You... you... You can't argue with a guy, an agent, in an, in an industry where agenting is so competitive that he looks at his client, uh, DeGrom is 30 years old. If he does get a long-term contract, if he stays healthy, this will probably be his earning potential right now. There won't be another one. There may be, but not to the level of what he could get at age 35, especially with the way the game values uh, youth right now. So he says, look, my, my client's having a career year. He's never going to be at a from a standpoint of publicity at a better point. Let me go out there and put some pressure on the Mets. It sounds like the Mets have dragged their feet with negotiations. The hope with this may be motivating them a little bit more, forcing them to make a decision. And uh, if he does get traded as client, I'm sure the team that acquires him is going to have to give up quite a bit and want to sign him to a nice lucrative extension. So it makes perfect sense. I don't think DeGrom will be traded, and I don't think the Mets are in a rush to give him an extension. So I, I think this is more of a the first move in what could be a rather lengthy chess match. Now, to me, the, what I keep uh, harping back to is uh, a couple of years ago when uh, Matt Harvey and his agent spoke up on his behalf and said, look, you know, he's coming back from uh, surgery and we don't want him to surpass an, an innings thing. And that got met with such an outcry from the public. And you fast forward here a couple of years to what DeGrom's saying and everyone's just kind of shrugging their shoulders. And is that solely because of the agent or do you think that there's other things uh, uh, at play here? I think Scott Boris always elicits more of a negative reaction because of who he is, because of how great he is at his job. 
because how polarizing he is. And, and even though fans usually you would think would be in the players' camp because even though they're very wealthy, the wealthy ones are the owners, and it's amazing how many fans are more empathetic to the ownership plight. Um, I also think Matt Harvey, and I always said this, I never felt Mets fans really f- believed he was one of them. He was more page six. He always was making googly eyes at the Yankees. He talked about being Derek Jeter. So I think that played into it. You know, Mets fans like stars, but they like, I guess, salt-of-the-earth type of stars. David Wright, Mike Piazza, even though those guys could be equally page six, I I think they're just a little bit different. They're maybe flawed superstars where Harvey wanted to be the the model. And uh, and DeGrom, to me, falls more into the Wright-Piazza mold. You know, he's a family guy. He's got a kid. A uh, guy from Florida doesn't seem to be interested in getting naked on uh, the Body magazine, um, and I and and I think that's why you see this right now. I guess we'll see if he struggles after this. How the calls to talk radio and and maybe some of the tweets and articles and things of that nature. I don't expect that to happen. But Degrom to me has always been the best out of all these guys, and I said this, and he really won me over in that Game 5 in Los Angeles in the 2015 Division Series series when he, when he didn't have his best stuff. And he grinded through that. The Mets were on the verge of getting their, the doors blown off of them in that game. And they couldn't afford that uh, with the fact that they were facing, what, Zach Grinke, if I'm not mistaken, that night. And, uh, and he kept them in the game. They came back, they won, and they went to the World Series. So I think at that point he really won me over. Has a lot of that David Cohn in him, uh, that moxie on the mound. No, I like the phrase that you use, uh, flawed superstar. And maybe there's no more flawed superstar left on the Mets now than Joanna Cespedes. And the, the latest news with Cespedes is he's working out to be a first baseman. And to me, that sounds you know promising, that it might actually solve a problem for the club. What do you think? If he can play it, great. Uh, I'm skeptical. Somebody brought up, and I'm trying to remember who it was, but about how big his body is and can he be mobile enough. The one thing that I think everybody forgets is that I know maybe back, at least when I was in Little League back in the 80s, sometimes the fat kid would play for his base who was immobile. But there's so much more to the position. I'm not expecting to be Keith Hernandez here, but you have to be able to handle throws in the dirt, uh, you know, bunt plays. Uh, I think a first baseman, uh, the stretches, you know, how he holds runners on. I mean, there's just so many things that especially with a staff that doesn't really do well with the base running, you know, holding base runners on. I think first base is a little bit more important, a little bit more intricate than those, uh, you know, give people credit to. Can Cespedes do this? Uh, you know, he's probably the kind of guy that doesn't really give much credence or to stress, so maybe he can. Uh, it'd be interesting, and it certainly would help with his versatility. There's no DH in the National League. It sounds like he's got some kind of chronic heel situation, or at the very least something that will require rest. Uh, and, and then, you know, do you really want a guy who can only play four days a week or five days a week for the next couple of years of that contract? You know, he's supposed to be your impact bat. So if he can play first, that'll help him. I have my doubts, um, but it's only a positive. I don't like just throwing guys at positions just to see what the hell. Uh, we've seen the Mets do that throughout the history. Howard Johnson in center field, Juan Samuel in center field, Lucas Duda in the outfield. I could probably throw some other guys um, that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. But, um, you know, I, it can't hurt giving it a look, uh, but I, I, I really don't know if uh, I would just throw him there and, and say, hey, he's a first baseman, here's a first baseman's mitt. You know, just because you have a first baseman's mitt doesn't mean you're a first baseman. You or I could put a first baseman's mitt on. doesn't mean we're first baseman. We probably are not, you know. But 
Hey, if Greg Jeffries, who wasn't the best fielder, could play first and play it, I guess, decently for the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, anything is possible. You went to Jeffries. I was going to go a little more contemporary. I was going to say we're throwing Wilmer Flores out there now, and if Flores can do it, I see no reason why Cespedes can't. Yeah, there's a guy, perfect example of a guy who does not have a position. He's probably a DH. Uh, and amazing, the Mets went to the World Series with the Flores playing shortstop with that footwork, with that long arm action. Uh, very difficult. I mean, he can't really. He's shown he can't play third base. Uh, he's probably better at a closer position in the infield. But yeah, and Flores hasn't. And I don't have the defensive metrics in front of me, and I don't necessarily buy all those metrics and how accurate they are because it's so hard to assess defense, even with all the, uh, the, the 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 kind of statistical tools they have now with GPS and all that other stuff. But you know, I think he's done okay for us at first. I don't think he's a gold glover, and I, and, and, I, and I don't think he'd be a guy that late innings I would say, okay, I don't need a defensive replacement. But with his bat and and the fact that he, he hasn't shown it this year, but he can hit lefties historically, um, and he's hitting righties really well, you know, he's he's pretty much done what you would ask at that position. Better than what Dom Smith could produce, and, uh, you know, certainly better than what Adrian Gonzalez was giving you. Well, circling back to Cespedes, the one thing that I like about the plan is you, you face the uh, the glut in the outfield where Nimmo and Conforto certainly have to play every day. And if Cespedes is healthy, and who knows, maybe one of these days Jay Bruce will be healthy too. And I guess we've always felt like Bruce was going to be the guy to end up at first base, even though he said more than once that he doesn't want to play the position. So this might be the perfect situation. Yeah, it's funny because in the NBA now, you have this thing called positionless basketball that everybody talks about. You don't have to have a position. You play all over the court. And we haven't really talked about that in baseball because baseball, if you're a really good gold glove center fielder, you're not going to move them to another position. If you're a, a gold glove shortstop or you're Nolan Arenado at third base, you're not going to move those guys. But maybe there is a value to guys learning, and I think at one point there was a value of utility guys like Joe McEwing. Uh, I think Rex Hudler was a guy back in the day that used to play a number of positions you know, Howard Johnson played shortstop, and uh, Davey Johnson's recently been, you know, going on on about Kevin Mitchell, if you remember, and he played a bunch of positions, and, and it's so long ago, it's hard for me to remember how good he was, but, you know, Hojo wasn't a great defensive player, but if you look at some of his metrics, what they do have from back in the day, he wasn't a bad shortstop, so, and that's a value, the versatility of being able to put a guy like that, especially when you don't have a ground ball pitcher on the mound, and, and maybe beef up the offense a little bit, so... It's not a bad idea to start getting these guys to learn different positions. I don't know how the analytics community will look at it, how the media will look at it, um, or the fans would look at it. But to me, you know what? Uh, the hell with that. If it's if it's something they could pioneer with and it makes sense and helps the Mets win, uh, they should try it out. As long as they they're not taken away from the guy's offensive game. I think that was one thing with Lucas Duda, if you remember, he really couldn't play the outfield, and I and I almost feel like it took away a little bit from his his offensive game at that time. And he, he seemed to be much more comfortable and evolve as an offensive player when they put him at a natural position like first base. I agree with that completely. One thing that um, that I like that the Mets are doing, and this is in the lower levels of their farm system, they've uh, put such an emphasis on acquiring middle infielders, particularly shortstops, that I have all of these shortstops. So uh, to, to get everyone a chance to play, you see these guys playing short, you see them playing second, and you see them playing third base. And in one of the lower levels, I believe it's Kingsport, they actually have one of those guys that they signed as a shortstop playing first base just because that's the only position that's available. And I, I want to see them uh, 
um, move that to other positions. To me, um, earlier in the year when they had uh, a spot available in the outfield, it was almost criminal to me that they had never had Peter Alonso play one game in the outfield. And I'm not saying that they've got to throw him out there and have him play 20 games, but is there any reason that he couldn't play one or two games a month in the outfield just to, to increase his versatility? Well, they did it with Dom Smith. I don't know about Alonzo, his, his mobility, but and they did it with not Dom Smith, and it was, it was like there was an outcry. And I think it's amazing to me about how fans and media look at this stuff if he knows how to play first base and he's increasing his value by learning other positions, I know that's usually reserved for players who are not necessarily top prospects or guys that were first-round picks. Those are guys that are trying to create versatility and value for themselves so there's a justification to put them on a 40-man roster or a big league roster versus somebody else. But uh, if the NBA could get to the point where versatility and positionless basketball is a big thing, why not look at that in baseball and say the ability, especially now in the National League where you're going to 12-man pitching staffs, that means you have 13 offensive players, uh, eight guys starting, uh, let's say five bench players, one's a catcher, you have four bench players, uh, you know, let's say backup outfielder, backup infielder, uh, you know, you need somebody that could play multiple positions so that if there's a problem, if there's an injury, if there's a 15-inning game, uh, that that individual could play pretty much anywhere, let's say, or any infield position, and hopefully contribute offensively. Uh, it's going to be more important. I don't, you know, it sounds like the DH, even though there's some support for the National League, isn't anywhere close to happening. So this almost has to happen because I don't see 12 man pitching staffs changing. I don't see teams having the depth, especially if expansion comes into play, which could happen. You're going to have more bad pitching out there, and you're going to need more relievers. And uh, the shuttle that you've seen this year between Vegas and, and New York City has been absurd. Uh, I think it's actually bad for the players because, in a way, I mean, one week you're in Vegas, the next day you're in New York, back, up, down. I don't think it's healthy, but that's a whole separate story. So, yeah, I, I think it's important, and I wonder if teams are going to start to look at that and say we need to have a bench, but we need guys on the bench, especially in the National League, that can play multiple positions so that – there is that versatility, and they can navigate uh, shorter benches and long extra inning games, potentially. And the third uh, big question uh, in the, the blogosphere, if you will, right now is the trade deadline and, and how to handle that. And there's some people that think that uh, the Mets are just a, a little bit better luck and uh, maybe a, a key acquisition or two away from being back in contention. And there's others who think that uh, we need to, to blow it all up and, and start over again. So where do you stand on that spectrum? Uh, do you do you just deal the expiring contracts now, or do you look to make uh, much bigger changes than that? I think I'm in the minority in, in saying that I, 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 and I know that, and I was looking at the numbers and the roster, and, I, and it's just so many guys, again, the second year in a row, outside of the, the four starting pitchers, and Wheeler's just come on recently, so I, it's really three and a half, are under, underperforming, but I still see that there's enough here. And, and a couple of reasons why, A, I don't think they're going to rip it apart now because it sounds like they want to go outside the organization for a GM. And I don't think ownership wants to bring somebody in outside the organization and that person tells them, hey, by the way, those guys you all traded away for ABC, you could have got you know, EFG, and by the way, I probably could have built a team around them. You want that person coming in, evaluating the roster uh, as is. Uh, I think there's enough. When you have four starting pitchers and pretty solid 
and I'll put Wheeler, even though I'm skeptical about how sustainable he is, you have a very valuable bedrock to build a, at least a team that I think, but what they have here can make the playoffs. I'm not saying this is a team in the next two years that you can all of a sudden turn around and win 9,800 games. Uh, I'm not even saying this is a championship team, but if this team, and I don't see why it couldn't, can't sneak in or make a wild card, or who knows? I mean, I keep hearing about the Braves and the Phillies. I've passed them. Well, a lot could change next year. You don't know about injuries. Manny Machado went to L.A. He didn't go to Philadelphia. And even if he did, he's a free agent. Um, you just don't know what next year looks like. Uh, even though there are young players and controllable players, I need to see players go on the, the, around the league once or twice. Injuries could happen. Underperformance. Nick Markakis is having a career year in Atlanta. That might not continue. Um, you just don't know. So to me to just punt and say, well, the Braves and the Phillies have arrived... Uh, what if these teams did that when the Mets won in 2015? Uh, the Nationals did that when the Mets won in 2015. They would have missed out on a couple of divisions. So I, I'm kind of going around it here, but I think you should try in the next two years with the controllable pitching, build a roster, maybe a more diversified roster with some better defensive players, maybe some more diversified offensive players, um, and go to war with that and, and see if you can make the playoffs. And once you get in that tournament, it's a crapshoot. If the Mets were bestowed a playoff spot this year and were relatively healthy, they could win a playoff series with this group. I don't think it would be easy. I don't think they would win and navigate to a championship. But with those starting pitchers, they could. Because um, anything could happen in a short series. If you did a tournament or anything like that. I think a lot of people want them to rip it up and start over and start fresh and, 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 and build up a farm system because a lot of fans like prospects now and they like winning uh, you know organizational awards it's almost like uh, baseball sim dynasty those old you know games that you play um, realistically I think the Mets are just going to trade their free agents hopefully and I, and I know for a fact that it sounds like they're going to try to take uh, money on so that they don't have to settle for lesser prospects um, what they can get for a familia or for Cabrera or maybe if they want to go and trade Wheeler I don't know but it sounds like it's guys that could help immediately and my only hope is that if they do trade those guys, they get the best possible package. Not necessarily guys that could help the 25-man roster, but have potential. And uh, with three guys running the show, even though they've been in the organization a while, one the former GM in uh, Omar Minaya, uh, that's a little clumsy. But, you know, you do have three guys who have diverse uh, skill sets, responsibilities, and, and maybe in the short term it could work. In the long term, I don't think it could work, but in the short term it can. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that it won't be that way in the long term. Uh, and you referenced the fact that uh, it looks like they're going to go outside the organization when for a time there it looked like uh, Rico was going to be the, the, the guy to take over for Alderson. And um, uh, I, I think you, you made an excellent point when you said that it's not fair for the guys who are in there now to, to go and, and blow things up when they're not going to be the ones who actually have to pay for those decisions. It's going to be uh, a new office. But one thing that I wanted to uh, ask you about is, uh, you know, you're talking about, well, you know, if you get in there, anything can happen. And, and that's 100% true. But one of the things that the, the, the readers on, on my blog are, are constantly harping about is that we seem to be content with uh, building a team that's just good enough to make it instead of trying to build a team that's going to dominate and is is that okay to build a team to, that's just good enough to make it when 
seemingly everybody who makes it has a, a, an equal chance once you reach the tournament? Well, absolutely you want to build a team that can dominate. You want to build a team that's the best in baseball. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I think that, and again, this is John Heyman reporting it. It sounds like the finances or they claim the Mets, the finances are better. I don't think that was the case even as uh, the 2015 season rolled around. Uh, I do think you can win with $160 million payroll. Uh, it's not easy when you have you know $7 million of a lefty reliever, $9 million of your setup man, you know, another $9 million in a, in a, in a fifth starter. I mean, you're looking at $30, $40 million in dead money. It's also not easy to win when the guy you brought in to be the anchor of the offense, the dynamic offensive player that he could be, Ioannis Cespedes, is making 25 to $30 million. So I just rattled off five or six names. You're looking at $60, $70 million. You're looking at about 40% with 35% of the payroll. That's a lot in what really is very... Uh, you know, light performance. And the only one out of that group that I have any hope, if they stay healthy, that could perform at those dollar values is, uh, is Cespedes. Now, I did not disagree with any of those moves when they were made, so I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I didn't know A.J. Ramos had a bum shoulder. Uh, who could have predicted that Blevins would go from a highly effective situational lefty to uh, probably one of the worst? Uh, you know, Vargas, statistically, he fit what the Mets needed, which was, you know, the dirty dish towel, six innings, three runs. You know, if they, if you if you do that, you'll keep teams in ball games, and and you can win late with a decent bullpen. Um, so I don't think they were playing just to compete and be well. I think they had a good team, and I was curious if these guys were performing as expected. Uh, what this would look like out if you take June out, and again, I know this is going to make people roll their eyes, but if you take June out, they're a 500 team. They're 34 and 34. That's not great, but that's not horrible. That's not worse than the National League. They were historically bad in June, and they lost so many games where not only did they not hit, they were embarrassingly inept. Uh, I think statistical, statistical outlier, if you look at those first couple of weeks of June, is what I would call it. I mean, no team could be consistently with major league league average or below league average or slightly below league average players that bad. So um, I don't know if this team was built just to compete and win. I think they had uh, higher uh, uh, aspirations for them. And I still think with the kind of starters you have at the top of the rotation, with Conforto, with Nimmo, with Cespedes potentially coming back healthy, um, you know, they have some interesting young pitchers in the minor leagues that may be available and ready to co uh, contribute next year. Uh, I don't think that a guy like Todd Frazier is a complete waste. I, I do, at least if you believe them, they have money to spend to maybe go after an A.J. Pollock or a D.J. LeMayhew or some other type of offensive players that aren't just the you know, sit back and wait for the three-run homer type. Uh, I think they can compete and win, and 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 you never know. I, I mean, I thought this was an 88 to 90 win team at the beginning of the year, and they were playing like that by the end of April. Uh, things just went very bad, and uh, I think that a lot of things happened that I don't want to say all of it was a statistical outlier, but uh, some of it, uh, I don't even think the most pessimistic prognosticator would think the Mets could be you know 39 wins at the All Star break. Let's put it that way, or 40 wins, whatever they're at right now. You've mentioned uh, here tonight uh, that you, you're not a big believer, not a big fan of uh, Zach Wheeler. So I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say if you were given the choice to trade either Wheeler or, or Steven Matz, that you would pick Wheeler. Um, talk to me about the, those two guys and, and where you see them going here on forward. Well, Wheeler's mechanics have always bothered me. I mean, he had the Tommy John surgery, he had the inverted uh, uh, V or W, whatever you want to call it, back even when they uh, traded for him from San Francisco. 
I've always felt he's a guy that's inefficient, throws a lot of pitches, muddles through games. He's been much better at this point. Now, I still think he's shown that after 95 pitches, 100 pitches, he's done. Because you see even the games that he's pitched well or dominant, that the numbers didn't really look that way because the Mets tried to push him, and rightfully so, into the seventh inning. Uh, That was always a criticism about this staff, except for DeGrom, of course, even with uh, Syndergaard. I never felt Collins and Wortham push these guys to get into the seventh, eighth inning. Look, you want to be considered elite, like Scherzer, like Kershaw. It's not six innings, zero runs. It's not six innings, one run. It's seven into the eighth, maybe the ninth. I know that's even rare for the elite pitchers. Um, and I think that's what Callaway at least seems like he's trying to do with Wheeler, get that extra you know, 15, 20 pitches. There's no reason even by today's uh, ball game and standards that you can't get 120 pitches out of a starter. I'm sorry. If they're trained properly and they have the ability and they can be effective, you're not going to tell me pitches 101 to 120 are better served giving to a middle reliever, even if they're a solid middle reliever. I'm not talking, you know, Anthony Swarzak, who's had an up-and-down career. I'm talking even guys like A.J. Ramos when they're on, uh, Jerry Blevins when he was on and when he was playing well. I think the starter is still the best option. Uh, and you want to make it so that your relievers, you can be, be situational with them, you don't overwork them. I mean, everybody says, well, they're a reliever, that's fine. But, you know, these guys go every day and they get hot. Even if they get hot and they don't get into the game, the arm still is being used. The, the arm doesn't know that it's not being used in a game situation other than it's maybe a little bit less stress. So, um, you know, Wheeler to me has always been the guy that I'm not sure about. And there's also been some reports about what would his makeup be if the stakes were higher. We haven't seen that because he was hurt when they were competing for a championship. They've been pretty much out of it since he came back. Um, let's see what they could get for him. Will someone overpay for him? I, I think that if someone's going to overpay for starting pitching, you have to at least put Wheeler out there. Now, Matt's, you would also put him out there because you never know. But to me, he's lefty. Uh, you know, lefties sometimes mature later. I, I know he's had an injury history. I think his injury history hasn't been as freakish as 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 Wheeler's. Uh, I think he's been more freakish than Wheeler's. I mean, Wheeler, you know, has had mechanical issues from day one. I kind of always felt he was going to get hurt. Um, and to me, uh, he's just he's just a better player, uh, Mats. I, I think Mats is more likely to be the three, number three starter that could get into a one-two, whereas Wheeler's a guy that's always going to be. Maybe on a good day, a number two type, but more likely he's going to fall into the 4-5 in the rotation with his performance. And those guys are more fungible. Uh, but I wouldn't just give them away. I'd, I'd try to get something of value, and I wouldn't get, like, low-A players. i try to get players that, if a team is desperate enough and needs a starter, say, hey, you're going to pay for this guy? And you just never know what teams are willing to pay if they get desperate and they feel, well, if I could get another starter, even if he's a six-inning, two runs, a three-run guy, I could get myself in the playoffs and maybe win a championship. You never know what those teams will give up, especially if they have uh, a little bit deeper farm system than another uh, 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 team that's in the same you know situation. I was looking at some numbers earlier today, and one thing that really jumped out at me, I was looking at Stephen Matz and his ERA. His ERA is the 20th best in the in the majors among qualified starting pitchers. And I knew he was having a good year. I didn't realize it was that good. But if you also compare that to his his numbers by his peripherals, his his FIP is much much higher than his ERA, meaning that Correct. 
perhaps he's he's pitching in in some good luck and you mentioned earlier that uh wheeler has had some times where you know they they look to push him that extra innings and and maybe the the bounces haven't gone his way and it's it's kind of fallen apart a little bit on him and i think that if you look at wheeler uh especially during the the last two months when he seems to have turned the corner his his fip and his era are 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 right next to each other and i would rather keep I'd rather keep Wheeler at this point. I think that uh, his uh, his he has less of an in injury uh, concern to me personally. I know that's a very subjective thing, but I'd rather have him. I'd rather have his velocity. And, and I think that the one thing that we absolutely have to give credit to the to the new brain trust of uh, Callaway and Island. I think they've they've really done some excellent work with Wheeler and gotten him away from that constant nibbling it seems like there was so many times in the past where he'd be up 0-2 or 1-2 on the batter and he's trying to throw that perfect pitch low and away and, and hit the black and instead he's trying to get the pitcher now to 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 get himself out you know whether that's uh the breaking ball in the dirt or elevating the fastball and and uh, i really like what i see from wheeler and uh, I agree with you. My preference would be to keep the four starters going forward. However, if we had to trade one of them, I would rather trade Mats. Yeah, and and I, look, Callaway has not been it has not been a banner year for Callaway. I haven't disliked Callaway. I've defended him a little bit because I feel like all of a sudden now everybody who's ignored bad managing for about seven years uh, <laughs> now is gonna is gonna pick on everything the guy does. Callaway to me hasn't done anything outstanding. Uh, he's done some things wrong, but the things he's done wrong aren't to the point where, let's put it this way, you switch Callaway and Aaron Boone, I don't think the team's records are any different. I really don't. I think things would feel different, and I guarantee you Aaron Boone, who's had some rough weeks uh, that really haven't been dissected because the Yankees have won, would be under the same type of microscope. But what they have done, at least, and let's mind you that Wheeler is still a below-league average pitcher who's pitched a lot better in recent months since maybe late April, early May. So he's, you know, he's not a league average pitcher yet in the whole totality of his, of his work. But the fact that those guys finally seem to be maturing and evolving, and some of it's between the ears, which I don't feel the prior regime did anything to help evolve and develop these guys. I think if you had natural talent and you were able to harness that natural talent, I think you did well under those guys. I don't think anything else was really uh, developed. And I think Callaway and Island have done that. Uh, to me, there's a value to that. Now, does that mean everybody's going to uh, come up aces? They're not miracle workers. Matt Harvey had to go. It was always in my gut that Matt Harvey needed a fresh start. The Mets just wanted to make sure they exhausted every possibility before they let him go because they didn't want to see him go somewhere else, regain his form, possibly you know dominate. And then you're saying, well, we could have had him here. It could have been us. We could have traded him. It, it, there was too much of a connection because of the first-round pick and, and the Dark Knight and, and all the things that they went through together. They tried to exhaust every possibility so it looked like it wasn't sustainable to even have him on the roster, which is why they traded him. You know, you're going to have your uh, Anthony Swarzaks. You're going to have your, your misses. Um, I'm not saying these guys are perfect, but I, I, I just think the fact that they've shown that they can work with what they have and improve it, especially with key assets like those two guys, young controllable pitchers maximizing their talent uh that to me is is worth a bundle and, and that's why i'm not really looking for them to you know chuck callaway right away and bring in a dusty baker or joe girardi i don't know if that kind of manager is going to make that much of a difference uh, i think he can learn to manage a better bullpen i don't think his bullpen moves have been overly egregious 
Uh, I think I like Island, and I like the things that Island has, has done. And historically, he's done well when, he, when he's been in other organizations, including the Yankees. So uh, I'd like to see this thing through. And I think, um, you know, with, with a little bit better luck and maybe a different type of mix, both in the clubhouse and uh, type of offensive players, look at how bad their offense has been. Their offense is competent. I'm telling you, these guys are maybe 10 games better. That doesn't mean they're in the race, per se, but they're not out of it. Let's put it that way. To me, we were talking about um, Callaway and whether he deserves the reputation that, he, that he's gotten so far here, where a lot of people are piling him on, and I really chuckled over the fact of over what you said about uh, people who ignored uh, bad managing for seven years and now coming out of the woodwork, because that's uh, extremely true, but... Um, to me, when I look at it, I almost see that his his greatest strength so far has also led into perhaps his biggest failing. And the one thing that I loved about the Callaway Island regime is that they embraced the multi-inning reliever. And that's something that we absolutely did not see from from Terry Collins and, and Dan Warthen. And the fact that they're throwing Gesellman and, and Lugo and, and other guys two and three innings at a time is, is exactly what this team needed. They, they need to embrace that long man role, whether that's a long man in, in mop-up situations or long man after a good five, six uh, inning outing from a guy who, who's not in a position to give you any more. But at the same time, I think that they were looking for reasons to take starting pitchers out of the game. And I think that hurt them, and I think that contributed to that losing streak that uh, we we saw in in May and June where he was too eager to go to the bullpen, and he ended up blowing the bullpen out. So uh, I I hope that this is a a learning experience for the two of them. And the one thing that I would like to see is after the first start or two, We've got to stop with this babying of the starting pitchers. They've got to be throwing 100, 110 pitches and, and not, well, well, it's cold and we have to wait till the weather warms up. And like, well, they were six weeks in spring training and then now two or three outings. I mean, they should be ready to go at that point. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, especially early April. I mean, you were getting three-inning starts. It was ridiculous. And, and you're right. That's what contributed a lot, even when they were winning early on to to a burnt-out bullpen. Um Look, he's going to have a full year with this group under his belt by the end of this season, going into next season. Next season is going to be critical. I'm assuming and it's uh, that they're going to put together at least moves that they're going to say we should have a winning club. Whether that club on paper meets the expectations of the media, the fans, or the prognosticators is another thing. But I think they're going to try to put together a winning club. I, I wouldn't be I would I don't think a man, management or ownership I shouldn't say management ownership will hire someone who's going to say, I'm going to tear this down and we got a five-year rebuild. That would have to be a sell job. Now, granted, Callaway wasn't probably the favorite to get the managerial job, and he sold them. He sold them in that in that room. Um, so, so, so to me, that, you know, he knows these guys now. He knows what they're all about. Everybody's learning each other, and it stinks because right now the Mets are in almost a win now because the, the controllability of these pitchers and their expense is going to go way up. They have a two-year window. In a lot of ways, the manager they hired, Mickey Calloway, should have been the guy they hired back in 2011 when they were in purgatory, when they were trying to rebuild the club. They didn't need the caretaker. They didn't need the veteran manager. I never understood that move. And, and, and now is the time where you can make the argument where you want to bring in, similar to how the Nationals brought Davey Johnson in and said, we want to win now. 
um, or Dusty, more appropriately, Dusty Baker, was they had that whole situation. Now, let's we go to him now because Davey was a bit of a caretaker, was supposed to be, and he he, he served both roles. So, um, you know, to me, th- this is a little bit imperfect, but uh, I'd like to see him after a year with the mistakes. Uh, and I'm hoping that he, he can be honest enough with that and, and, and learn from those mistakes. I don't think the media particularly likes him. I know that for a fact. Uh, I don't know if Mickey has embraced the media in any way, and I think that's contributed to it. He's not nasty to them. He's indifferent, and I don't think they like that. I don't think he gives them a warm and fuzzy feeling. And believe me, that goes into and plays into how the coverage goes in this city. Uh, always has been, always will be. Now you bring up a, a point I'd like to talk about, and uh, that's uh, that Callaway would have been the, uh, the the guy to hire in 2011, and obviously not Callaway. He wasn't he wasn't ready to do that type that of kind job, of manager, but that type of manager exactly. Right. Um, and and to me, I, I partly agree with that. Um, I don't think 2011 was the time for that. I think that they needed that caretaker in 2011, just because things were just so cartoonish with uh, uh, Jerry Manuel. And uh, you know, he was talking about uh, how he was a gangster and and all of this other stuff. And you know, if, uh, I was waiting for the Bobby Bonilla. Let me show you the Bronx. I mean, th- there was just such unbelievable uh things going on both in in uh on the field management and uh, that was also the tony bernazard era where he was taken off of his shirt and and challenging guys to fight and i think in 2011 they probably needed somebody to come in and give that that kind veteran stabilizing thing and they gave him a two-year contract and they should have let him serve his two years and then they should have thanked him and give him the gold watch and send him off and in 2013 I think would have been the perfect time for the Callaway type manager uh, you know that I could agree with that too the one mistake and I said this on uh, when I had a, I was a guest on AM 970 the answer uh, a few weeks back that Sandy Olson made and and it's a total second guess and we probably should have seen it at the time but the Mets were in bad financial position post Madoff and they were not looking to invest in that group they had a lot of dead money um, they had gone from, I guess, one of the top payrolls in 2009, and, and they were essentially looking to cut back. So instead of giving Wright, and I know this would have been unpopular, they let Reyes walk. They should have traded Reyes for prospects. And I was against that at the time because I kept saying they could sign these guys. Why would you give up Reyes and Wright in their prime? And it's a total look back, and I know now it's easy to say, yeah, they should have. But they should have because they weren't going to invest in the team. Uh, they needed to move forward. Things had gotten so bad with the collapses and the negativity. And they sh- and I know that because the ownership, and this is my opinion, I don't know this for a fact, was so sensitive to the spending, they gave Wright the contract because it would have been too painful for them to see Wright traded for a bunch of maybes. But that would have been the move to make. Yes, they would have been bad. They may have been 100 loss or worse bad like the Astros. And we would not have been able to see David uh, contribute and get to the World Series in, in 2015. Um, but who knows what they could have gotten for him. And then you, even though the insurance has picked it up, you wouldn't have been saddled with this contract at this point. And, and who knows what kind of players you would have got. Of course, the course of Mitch's history is completely different, and maybe 2015 doesn't happen. Um, but that's where I would say that would be the mistake. You should have just said, we're going to rip this thing completely apart. We're not going to invest in these guys. And even if we do, like right, by the time we get good, 
these guys are going to be in the back half. Now, they were young, so I guess Alderson's thinking, well, Wright will still be uh, in his late prime and a healthy guy, and he didn't have a back problem at that time. So, you know, a little bit different scenario. But, again, I would have really liked to see what they could have gotten for those guys. Uh, race might have been a little tougher because he was on the last year's contract in a pennant race, but I certainly think people would have paid for Wright and would have given the Mets some uh, serious uh, prospects for Wright. Let's shift gears here. I want to talk uh, a little bit about maybe comparison to two similar guys or, or guys who play the same position. And I want to start off with the catchers. Right now the Mets are running a platoon with uh, Kevin Ploiecki and Devin Mezzarocco. And I want to know uh, what are your thoughts on those two guys and do you have a preference for which one uh, you want to see get the, the majority of the playing time the, the remainder of the season? Oh, that's a tough one because I'm more of a catch. I'm a guy who likes catch and throw I mean, not that I don't want them to hit, but I like catchers who can catch and throw, call ball game, control the running game, and I don't know if those guys fall into that. They certainly don't on the on the throwing runners out situation. Uh, Mezzarocco could pop you a home run, which Ploiecki really can't. Uh, Ploiecki might be a little bit more of a consistent hitter, at least you know from an OPS plus situation. It looks like that. I think Mezzarocco gave them something in terms of what you could get from Matt Harvey, which was very little. Uh, but he's got a history of injuries. I don't think he can sustain and hold up and play every day. Uh, I don't particularly like the way he calls a ball game. I'm assuming because I, I try to see through the you know by watching the game that it's he calling the ball, the pitches and I, and I and I know he has called pitches and I think he's made some critical uh, errors with some of that uh, with this staff. So I like a guy who's a good game caller, a leader. Um, the throw runners out, and, and then what they give you offensively, those catchers, I'll be willing to take league average, maybe slightly below in a good lineup because I value that that much. So I don't know if these are the guys that I'd hang my hat on long term. I think both are backups. Uh, I'm not sure Travis Darno's is a starter either, although from a framing perspective, he certainly is missed. You could say that for sure, even though I know that people think that's overrated. Forget the metrics. Just look, watch the game. I think there's a lot of close calls that with – uh, Darno, the Mets pitchers would get, and Darno could hit a little bit, although he couldn't throw uh, runners out. And I'm not sure it was his arm, which turned out to be the elbow that was the issue. I think it was his footwork to a certain degree. Um, but you know, to me, Ploiecki and Darno, or even Mezzarocco or backups, I'd like to get a, a, a catch and throw guy to play a majority of the games. I don't know if that guy's out there, and uh, this is a real tough hole. I think the Mets are going to have to figure out, you know, can they develop somebody? Um, can they trade for somebody, a veteran, uh, preferably, and uh, and get someone in there that can you know really lead and manage that pitching staff? Because I, I value that a lot. So you know nothing against these guys; they don't do enough of anything offensively to make up for what I feel is what the most critical aspects of catching is, which is the fen- the defensive side, the game calling side, and the leadership uh, qualities. Now we've been pretty much in an agreement on most of the things we've talked about so far here. Uh, tonight, but uh, I think I'm going to have to uh, uh, take exception to uh, some of uh, what you're talking about with uh, Mezzarocco because I feel like we took such a, a giant step forward when he came over, and his work with the pitchers I think is uh, has to at least uh, account for part of uh, the step forward for for both uh, Harvey, I mean not Harvey, excuse me, for uh, Matson Wheeler. Uh, I think he's. Uh, uh, displayed a, a take charge uh, atmos- uh, attitude behind the plate and uh, I like his game calling and and I think that his uh, his defense outside of his throwing his, his throwing is is not a huge plus 
but it, it's at least as good as Darno's. And and I've liked what the the club have, has gotten from Mezzarocco so far. You know that's that's fair. Um, and again, I, I wouldn't mind uh, him as a. I don't know if he could play every day. I mean, he's had a lot of serious injuries. And truthfully, you can do a lot worse. And right now, if you go on the free agent market and say, if the Mets don't have Mezzarocco, who would they bring back? He probably is one of the top ones. So I'm not disagreeing with you. Um, I, you know, I just, I just think they can do better. I don't know if that guy's available. And I'm not saying Mezzarocco is horrible. I just would like, I mean, to me, defense up the middle is just so important, all the way up to center field. And I know it's a cliche, but teams that have good defense up the middle, go back and look at the 1999 Mets. Forget Piazza, because Piazza was pretty good at everything, similar to Mezzarocco in that sense, what you're saying, except for throwing runners out. Uh, he was actually great at blocking pitches. I, I can't speak for the framing, but I, but for what it's worth, Al Leiter loved throwing to him, so that says something. But that 99 team won because of defense up the middle, defense in the infield specifically. They took average pitchers, with the exception of Leiter, and maybe Reed was slightly above league average, but guys like Yoshi um, and Kenny Rogers, who you know were ground ball pitchers, and, and, and made them really tough because nothing got by them. So I always remember that, and I always feel like if you have strong defense up the middle, not at the sacrifice of a lot of offense, but of some, uh, and I know this is not the way the game is played today, because you could say, oh, I got shifts, I could look at metrics, I could position players. Still, you know, range, there's something to be said with that. You can't put everybody everywhere. You don't know where the guy's going to hit the ball. So to me, I'm more about defense, but I don't think you're totally off. I don't, I don't think you're saying something egregious there. And uh, listen, uh, is Mezzarocco a downgrade over Darno? I would say they're pretty even. I think Darno might be a better framer. Um, and um, and at the end of the day, who costs the less? Because I'm not sure either one of those guys, and Darno's probably not going to be healthy April 1, are um, are worth breaking the bank for. You know, putting your money elsewhere if it's available would be would be an option. So real quick, do you, do you view Ploiecki as a starting caliber catcher? No. Okay. I don't. I, I mean, I could be wrong. He's never really gotten the chance, but offensively no I don't think he does anything let's put it this way uh he doesn't do anything defensively that makes me say that offense which is a different offense or maybe weighted is a little bit better than Mazzarocco without the power is is worth the the price of admission so no all right and the the second comparison I wanted to make is uh to the two outfielders the two young outfielders that are actually uh born in the uh, same year and in the same month and that's uh, Michael Conforto and Brandon Nimmo uh, which one do you think has a brighter future? I'm so down on Conforto. Um, overall, he's the better player, and I probably would say have the brighter future. I think Nimmo's going to be more of a component player, leadoff guy, energy guy, on-base guy. Um, Conforto, to me, could be the middle of the order, number three, number four hitter, who hits for average and power. But it's almost like if you look, his, his results this year, his output this year is identical. Look at his numbers. Go to baseball reference. Look at his numbers. A little bit more time uh, in terms of plate appearances this year than in 2016, but it's almost the same. So we go good year, bad year, good year, bad year. Who's the real Michael Conforto? I understand he uh, is coming off a serious injury, and maybe that played into he not getting all the spring training and, and things like that. Uh, but there's something to this. This isn't the first time this has happened. Uh, the numbers he's produced got him sent down in 2016. They talked about it at one point this year, sending him down. Uh, we're kind of at a crossroads here. Who's the real Michael Conforto? 
and can he return to the player that he was prior to separating his shoulder last August? If he is that guy, then you have yourself a cornerstone piece. The guy I see now is a platoon player, um, and to me, Nimmo, because of the intangibles he brings with his energy, because of his on-base ability, uh, because I just think that he can bring so much more offensively in terms of different you know, power on base, whereas Conforto has never shown that he can be the run producer that he really can be consistently. Uh, I would say you know, right now, Nimmo, I hope that Conforto comes back, um, but I, I'm just so down on him right now, and I don't know what's wrong with him, and I don't know if it's approach. I don't know if it's his mental situation. Is it you know because he had to rehab the shoulder that he didn't take enough reps? over those eight months it's it's a very perplexing situation Conforto I don't want to give up on him but things need to change fast and if he doesn't improve by the end of this year um and you do go into next year with him as a starter I think next year's it I think he either has to show it or you need to move on now I want to change gears completely here and we've been talking about uh, guys on on the, the current team I want to talk about the the farm system and and the farm system has taken a lot of grief uh, coming into the year. We, we saw it rated, I think, as low as 27th or 28th in the majors. Uh, what? How would you rate the farm system today? Are, are you bullish on the chances of uh, guys to come up and contribute? I'm not a, a scout, uh, and, and if you do want to get good coverage, I'll plug them. The MetsMiners.net guys, Michael Mayer over at MetsMiners.net online, they do some great stuff. And the way for those who really cut, and these guys, and Michael covers, like he talks to scouts, he goes to games, like he's not just looking at stats and numbers, he's really covering the minor leagues. What I'll say is this, that from what I understand, the lower levels produces or has potential, which means they're not big league ready, but there's potential down there. Outside of McNeil and Alonzo, and you've seen some of the pitchers they brought up or the pitchers they've had to sign off the scrap heap, there's not a lot of players that could impact the 25 or 40 man roster now uh, but I look at guys like Justin Dunn um, Anthony Kay, David Peterson these are young pitchers that maybe by this time next year similar to Syndergaard and Mats uh, DeGrom guys like that when they came up in 14 and 15 could impact look nobody was talking about those guys even Mats and, and Syndergaard the year before the World Series run as guys that you could plug into rotation and compete at a high level they were having good years. Actually, Syndergaard was struggling in the minor leagues, if you remember correctly, that season. There was doubts about him. Mats was having a good year in double-A Binghamton. So, you know, I look at it in a similar sense where let's see what next year brings. If those pitchers develop, I'm bullish on them now having a better depth or guys they could plug in and maybe uh, give them number three starter numbers. Where right now, it's such a drop-off. Uh, we'll see what Corey Oswalt becomes, but... You know, there's such a drop-off when they start somebody like uh, Flexin or something like that. I mean, there's not even competitive games at that point. Um, Thomas Niddle's been a huge disappointment. You know, we talked about catching before, and, 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 you know, we didn't even bring him up. That tells you what, you know, how he performed when he was up here. Um, but you got guys like Andres Jimenez, uh, Jared Kelnick now is getting a lot of play after a really hot start. So I think in the lower minors, there's a lot of potential. Uh, I think McNeil and Alonzo are going to be the key guys for the upper levels now and who can contribute now and into next year. But I think the, the Mets' uh, drafts and their, and their prospects in terms of uh, who can impact, it's going to be more of a 2020, 2021. And, and maybe at the end of the day, that's where the biggest knock on Sandy Alderson, the drafts that he had, 
yeah, you have Lugo and Gazelman and, and, and Nimmo now has contributed, so you started to see that bear some fruit. But in general, there just hasn't been enough. I'm not talking about stars, just even quality contributors in some of those drafts from 11, 12, 13, and 14 that you could turn around and say, yeah, you know, the Mets have done a good job here. So I think we'll see what happens in the next three to four years. But uh, right now, you're, you're, you're hanging your hat on McNeil and Alonzo. I think Mets fans got really spoiled where we had a stretch where one year they brought up Harvey and the next year they brought up Wheeler and the next year they brought up DeGrom and the next year they brought up Syndergaard. And that's that doesn't happen. <laughs> I mean, right. that was that was so incredibly nice right. to have that run where they just kept bringing up one star after another after another. And let's face it, that's why they made the World Series in 2015. Yeah. Because it's because very uncommon. That. That's why I don't want to give them up. That's why I, I mean, I really would measure twice, cut once before I gave up on those guys and traded them. And you better be right. You know, when they traded R.A. Dickey, they got very fortunate because if you remember. Syndergaard was a guy they wanted, but they weren't sure about. It was Darno, so you just don't know what you're going to get. You just don't know. And there were other guys in that uh, deal, uh, the Dickey deal, particularly that Toronto gave up that had some promise that never panned out. So, you know, it's 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 a, it's very hard to project, and and prospects are just that prospects. They're not guarantees, and we we often forget that. One of the things that that I go round and round with on on people is that they they don't have an appreciation for what we were just talking about that that great run that the the Mets had of guys that they promoted and that's by far the exception and not the rule and actually uh, Sandy Alderson's draft record has been pretty good it's been one of the the, the strengths of his department and you you say that whether you look at the the sheer number of guys who've come up or the the guys who've come up and and actually produced so uh, uh, you mentioned Kelnick. Uh, he's off to a great start. Hopefully we'll, we'll see him. And you mentioned some of the other pitchers that he's drafted here. And, you know, we might be have a lull, you know, right now and, and, and next year, depending, I guess, on when Dunn is going to make his debut and when, when Alonzo will make his debut. But I, I think there's a, there's a lot of talent percolating uh, at the uh, the A level, and, and I think that uh, two, three years from now, we're going to see another run of, of high-quality guys coming up, and I think that that's one of the things for the, the people, and I'm not one of these people, but one of the things that people who are saying, well, they should trade away guys, uh, they should more uh, on the side of blowing it up rather than uh, just uh, trade the expiring contracts is that because there's nothing available in the next year two two and a half years that they should time it so that all of those guys are are ready and and hitting the majors at the same time like we saw with the Astros yeah and there's but that doesn't mean it's going to happen and everyone's like now well you got to build it like the Astros and the Cubs and I remember back in 2003 after the Marlins won everybody was saying well, you got to win with speed at the top of the order. And, and then the Red Sox win the next year, and it's all about on-base percentage. And then the Mets win in 2015 and go to the World Series. Well, it's about starting pitching. And then the Cubs win, and it's about offense. Like, there's not one way to win. There's just never been. And, and, you know, the Mets could do things, and I know that that's making people laugh because they're like, look at the history, look at the bad luck. But maybe the Mets, and if I'm a GM, I look at this roster, and, 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 and maybe I'm being simplistic here, and maybe I'm being naive. I would be completely honest if I thought there was nothing here. I really would. Uh, I'm not here to put glasses on, blue and orange glasses, and, and, and blow smoke and say that you know everything's all right. Anyone who's listened to me for 10 years knows that that's not my, my thing. 
I just look and I say, yeah, there's opportunities here, and yes, there are holes. And I think offensively, they have to look and see how they could remake this offense. Uh, I think some of these pitchers in the bullpen have potential if, if, if they develop and are used properly. I don't think you have to go out. Look at the Rockies, all the money they spent on bullpen arms, and, and that's not really yielded anything for them. Um, you know, there's been some bad luck here. Um, I trust in Callaway and Island to develop those guys. So, you know, to me, a challenge for anybody coming in would be, in the next couple of years, can you make something out of this? The rebuild will be there. You can blow this thing up two years from now, three years from now, tomorrow. Uh, I don't see where the, uh, the opportunity lost is. Yeah, okay, maybe the threat is you have another bad 2018 2017 type season in 2019 and nobody wants to go through that but i don't think that's a guarantee that that's going to happen um there's going to be prospects there's going to be teams looking for starting pitching this idea that jacob Degrom can't be traded for the same value next year as he is this year is nonsense oh well you get three pennant races instead of two out of well somebody wants an elite starting pitcher to win a championship they're not going to care that he has two instead of three they're going to get him because there's going to be another team that's right up there trying to get him with them. This, you know, I, I've heard people say, and I know it's funny, and I, and I think they're joking, but I don't know. Well, Bryce Harper increased his free agent value because of a home run derby, and Jacob Degrom got hit because of a home run in the All Star game. We're at a point where we're judging people on nonsense, really. I mean, I know that we're in a media age where we have to fill time, but could we be mature, or are we, you know, six years old here? Because I got to tell you, I see a lot of six year old type of uh, thought processes being thrown out there by supposedly intelligent writers and bloggers and 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 fans and you know and what have you so um you know i don't mean to insult anybody but you know at the end of the day to this idea that you cannot win with this roster you could only win one way and it's this way that's the same kind of thinking that used to annoy the analytics crowd when they were on the outside uh and not the mainstream like they are today well, speaking of six-year-olds, we've uh, reached the uh, crazy prediction time, and we have a, a segment on the podcast where uh, I'll start off, I'll give you a crazy prediction of mine, and then I'll ask you to comment on it, and then I'll ask you to uh, to give me a crazy prediction of your own, and, you know, maybe we're overshooting it here. Maybe it's more four-year-olds than, uh, than six-year-olds, but uh, um, uh, I don't know. I've been uh, doing the crazy predictions a year and a half, two years now, and I don't think any one of them has come true so I'm, I'm due to come true on one of them uh, just uh, just by numbers but my crazy prediction is that the Mets are going to trade Michael Conforto so what do you I, think I don't think I don't think that's crazy I, I don't think that's crazy I don't know if it's going to happen in, in July um, I don't know if they would get the best value out of him uh, you might have to package him with the pitcher I would hope that there was a big uh, upside to including him at his lowest point but um, you know, a new guy comes in as a general manager, has no attachment to him. They didn't see him come up through the organization. They didn't draft them. He wasn't part of their World Series or pennant-winning team. So, um, yeah, I don't think that's crazy at all. I, 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 as far as crazy, believe me, I've seen John Harper columns, all due respect <laughs> to John, that are far more crazy than Michael Conforto getting traded by you, what you put. So that's not the worst crazy prediction. I haven't listened to the other ones. But uh, I'm assuming that's one of the more sane or logical ones. So maybe that's the one that – maybe your streak ends on that one. There you go. Fair enough. All right. Well, show me what a crazy prediction is like. All right. Well, I'm going to throw you two. So I'll give you kind of two for the price of one. The first one is this. Don't be surprised the Mets bring back Daniel Murphy this offseason. Maybe to play first base. Maybe to play third base if Frazier gets traded. 
I don't think he could play second base full-time, but maybe they bring Murphy back because I don't think Murphy's going to have a lot of offers out there because of the knee. Uh, if he doesn't go to the American League, uh, I wouldn't be surprised that the Mets try to sneak in uh, because he's the kind of bat, and I think they may want to see if they can get – uh, something uh, from that World Series run uh, out there. Um, and then the second thing is, and this is probably the crazier of the two, uh, don't be surprised they try to, and I know he's got a no-trade clause, try to move on from Cespedes. Uh, because he may be the guy that, if you talk about remaking the offense and moving in a different direction while not blowing the team up, his money and his presence and his dynamic might be the, the thing that you could change on that whole thing. Well, I, I would not be the least bit surprised if they were calling every single club that they that they had uh, a phone number for trying to find uh, someone to take Cespedes off their hands. So uh, I, I don't think that that one's crazy. I do think that uh, the Mets, after all the trouble that they've had with injuries the, the past few years, taking on a, a Daniel Murphy who, I mean, we just played the Nationals and, and, and Murphy looked like a cripple. And, yeah, and, it's and a, it's a risk. I, that's why it's a crazy prediction. So I, I would I would the, say the that suspicious one, one might be more real logical. The suspicious one would be interesting because you would have to say, "Hey, I don't want any prospects. I just need you to take the money," and you go to an American League team. It'd have to be an American League team, and then yeah, you that, take that money and you free it up, and 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 you're gonna look. You're on that scenario. You're banking on Conforto returning, Nimmo being somewhat of a of a dynamic player in a in a power. Sp- no, I don't want to say speed, but he does a decent speed on base. Um, you'd have to go out and maybe look at an A.J. Pollock, who's also an injury risk as a free agent. Um, you know, you're losing a lot of power there. Or, or, or you're admitting, hey, you know, maybe Jay Bruce, even though he's got two years left on the contract and has some hip issues, well, we, we could get 30 home runs out of him. I don't know, I don't know the underlying issues with his health. He certainly has plantar fasciitis. So um, the pro- and this is where I guess it gives credence to those that don't want to stay the course like I do with the pitching. They're looking at all the plans to rebuild as risky propositions. And I agree. Um, but, you know, I really would feel like, like you, you know, it's such criminal and it bothers me so much to have this gift of these pitchers that you never expected. Um, just to give it away and not have one, one, one or two more playoff runs um, that I think that I, I expected at least at least one more playoff run um, since you know the 2016 uh, wild card game. I think the Mets will do that would do that in a heartbeat, and that would be trading Cespedes if someone took his contract. I think uh, if you had framed it as someone will take Cespedes's contract, then I would have given you a crazy. <laughs> you know, it's it, listen, it's tough, but you know. You have to look at the health, and you have to say, is a team thinking that they can take Cespedes on, they have some extra money, and they don't have to give up prospects. If you're asking to give up prospects or anything, no, they're not going to do that. Um, maybe the Mets look at it and say, we'll eat you know, XYZ portion of it. Look, Cespedes would have to approve it, so that's the, the big thing here. Right. The crazy part is, I don't know if Cespedes wants to leave. Spring training's near his home in Florida, so now you have to narrow the teams down to teams that are near his home. Uh, in Florida, you know, that do Florida spring training. That narrow, because most, most teams will go to Arizona now. Florida's becoming a, a graveland, you know, graveyard. Um, you know, Houston was interested in him. I don't know if they need him now. So uh, it is crazy. I, and, and, you know, maybe the Murphy one's more realistic. I don't know. So 
Um, in general, uh, all I can say about the Murphy part of it is you're right, he does look gimpy, but sometimes those injuries, same injury that uh, just Justin Turner had, the microfracture surgery, uh, they take some time to heal, and, uh, and, and, and maybe as the season goes on, he'll look a little bit healthier as, uh, as he gets deeper in, uh, and, and, and moves further away from the surgery and the rehab. We're talking with uh, Mike Silva, and I'm having a, a great time, but I just want to check in and, and make sure that uh, you've got time for one, maybe two more questions. Yeah, no, that's absolutely not a problem. All right, well, I want to talk about Jose Bautista, and and I was 100% against the Mets signing him, and he's been so much better than what I anticipated. I anticipated he was going to be every bit as bad as Adrian Gonzalez, and, and he's been the exact opposite of that. He's uh, been willing to play in both the infield and the outfield, uh, shown a great eye at the plate, uh, has uh, started to hit a few balls over the wall, and, and seems to be um, hustling every time he's on the field. And uh, it, it, it's been a revelation to, to watch him play. But he's not really somebody who fits on on the team going forward so what do they do with Jose Bautista well if Cespedes decides he wants to play possum the rest of the year and not come back they almost need him I'm not in favor of and I know this is another thing that's probably not going to be popular I think winning is important I think winning in the second half and the goal in the second half should be if Cespedes comes back um, and they have a relatively healthy team with Frazier back go out there compete and win you know ruin some September's uh, you know, make life miserable. Make teams say, you know, I got to come in. I need these games to win the division. If I'm the Phillies or the Braves or, you know, a, a team competing for the wild card, I got to face Syndergaard, DeGrom, Mats. That's a real hassle. Look at the Yankees. They're not going to be happy about facing those three guys. I don't care what their fans say about the Mets. Um, and if Jose Bautista being on that roster helps them achieve that goal, um, and there's no market for him to get anything of value. Now, if you want to give him away for cash or for organizational filler, to me, that's a waste. If you could keep him and he's a positive in that locker room and he's a positive out on the field, and I don't know if he's a positive in the locker room. I haven't heard he's a negative, but I think he's more mercenary from the description that I've heard of him, like more to himself, go out, play, go home. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, as long as he contributes and, 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 and does the things you've seen over the last couple of weeks – because I think winning and having the best possible second half is important for Mickey Calloway. It's important for the organization to build on that for next year. Not be fooled by it, but build by it, uh, build on it. And if Bautista does that, and he does that in a part-time role or, or being a, a pseudo-cespitus, which he's been uh, over the last month, uh, you know, then I'm all for it. Keeping him around. I like winning, but... I don't think that the the organization should necessarily chase wins here in in the the second not half irresponsibly. Not that's true. Well, no, I don't mean irresponsibly. Not 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 at the expense of development. But I wouldn't embarrass myself for a higher draft pick. I guess let me make myself clear on that. All that's right. So I, mean. I, I guess the the thing that I come back to is is last year similar circumstance where they were n- not really competing for um, a playoff position down the stretch and then they picked up uh, Nori Aoki who had been released twice and um, Aoki was really good he he had uh, I haven't looked at the numbers but I'm somewhere in in the ballpark of a 360 on base percentage was definitely a positive if you just looked at the 2017 season but there was absolutely no chance he was going to be on the 2018 club 
So why was he playing ahead of somebody who might possibly could have won himself a spot on the 2018 club? Maybe we Fair point. At, maybe we Fair looked point. at Philip Evans completely different if they had let him go out and, and play in the outfield uh, in, in Aoki's spot. And I just wonder if we're in the same spot here with Bautista. And nothing it's, it's against possible. Bautista. Nothing no, against that's, and, that's, and that's a very fair point. And maybe, I mean, that's what some fans and media members have said. Well, did you know Brandon Nimmo was this good? Because maybe you wouldn't have... And let's see Brandon Nimmo's second time around the league. He's never played a full season yet, so let's just temper that. I mean, he's been, you know, I, I think he'll be okay, but that doesn't mean anything. Uh, maybe you would have known what you had of Brandon Nimmo and if you gave Brandon Nimmo more exposure. I personally think that Aoki was somebody they were looking at uh, as some affordable outfield depth for this year. I think they were looking at him as uh, a possibility, uh, as crazy as that is. So, you know... I don't think it was like, let me just fill them in to win games. I think they were serious about that. Uh, they have, I don't know how big their analytics department is. I've heard it's, you know, from, from reports, it's not that big. They do, and a lot of the moves they made, the Chris Becks, the Neil Ramirez's over the last year, have been analytics department moves where in a vacuum there may be some statistical validation or reason for making the move, but then you look at it in a, in, in, in a real-life practical sense, you're like, Neil Ramirez stinks, and I know I say that now, and he's doing well in, in, in Cleveland, and Chris Beck stinks, you know? <laughs> so what, what's going on here? So, you know, maybe to a certain degree, that's where, um, you know, Aoki falls into. But, you know, look, I'm with you. I don't mind keeping – if you're just going to give him away for cash or for a filler, to me, keep him around if he's going to be useful, even if it's in a part-time role. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see a need to just rip the roster apart for a higher draft pick. Uh, I don't want them to be embarrassed. Uh, I do want them to go out there and compete, even if they lose. How you lose and the process of losing, I think, is is just as important. If that, you know, I know that sounds corny, but that's that's something I really believe in. All right, and my last question for you tonight is uh, two of the guys that they signed as uh, free agents here in the offseason who've had some injury problems and production problems too, and that's Todd Frazier and Anthony Swarzak. Do you have any hope for either of those being productive members of the team going forward? I like Frazier. Um, you know, before he got hurt the second time, his numbers weren't, you know, too far off from historically where he was, even with last year with the Yankees. Then I looked a little dive deeper. Other than April, he's been really bad, so that tells you a lot. Maybe they've, because of the Cespedes injury, elevated him to a higher part in the lineup than he is. I think he's a seven-hitter. He's a guy that's going to give you some pop, not going to hit for high average, give you really good defense, leadership. He's a he's a, he's a a you know grinder. Uh, and who I advocated early in the offseason to signing. So I wasn't somebody that just jumped on board late. Um, and I think... Uh, the injuries probably have had to play something. I think he was hurting way before he let on. That had to play into his production. The fact that he went back on the disabled list. So this guy's probably been hurt for the better part of three months. I think Frazier will be okay. Now, Swarzak was not the guy that I was thinking about going into the offseason. I like Joe Smith um, personally, and I wanted them to re-sign Addison Reed because uh, I liked him. And, and Addison Reed hasn't had a great year in Minnesota. And now he seems to be having some tendonitis and maybe having some arm issues. Uh, 